hello everyone it's been so long since i've talked to you just in a regular episode this is so exciting you know i've just been completely consumed with the deep dark void that is final exam season but i'm finally done with that so i can get back to doing things i enjoy like huddling under a blanket in 20 degree heat and just rambling about loki until i say enough things that make sense And so here we are. Welcome back to the Loki podcast, a podcast in which I talk about Loki. I'm Annie, your host, and today I'm talking about Loki's kids. And he sure does have a lot of them. And so I'm going to be guiding you through what the sources actually say about these children, and also some of my fun theories about them. I'm going to be honest with you guys, I really enjoyed putting this episode together, and I'm really, really proud with how it came out, so I really hope you all enjoy it too. But first of all, I'm going to go through some of my inboxes and see all the things that you guys have been sending me. I'm currently in the process of working through everything that was sent to me during my hiatus type thing. I'm getting to you, I promise. But first of all, I do want to thank anyone who sent me a nice message and wished me well on my exams. That's genuinely so sweet, and it really kept me going through all of the all-nighters I've pulled over the last month. But to move on to some actual, real questions. A couple of people actually pointed out that I said Tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder are Marvel's inventions and don't exist in Norse mythology. Which I actually did not remember saying, but I went back and listened to the relevant episode, and I did, and I was completely wrong. They do exist in Norse mythology. They're mentioned both in the poem Thrymskvither and also in Gilvaginning during the Utgarda episode. Hopefully this will be the first and the last correction I get, but don't put your money on it. I also have a question from Lottie over email. And just as a warning, this concerns Loki episode 1, so if you haven't seen that yet, just skip over this question. Anyway, Lottie says, Some people on Twitter have been saying that the TVA basically killed... Black Widow and Gamora, because they had all the Infinity Stones the whole time. I was definitely shocked when I saw all the stones in the drawer, but I wouldn't call it murder. Thoughts? Okay, so here's the thing with this. There are plenty of in-universe reasons why the stones shouldn't work. It's been explained that once they're removed from their universe of origin, they don't work anymore, and so there's no point in giving them out again because they don't work. But also... I think we need to take a step back from the idea of the multiverse and endless crossovers between all of Marvel's content, and think about what this decision does for the narrative coherency of Loki as a thing in itself. It signals to us as the audience that Loki is now in completely uncharted territory. He's in a new world that has new rules, and so presenting these all-powerful symbols from the so-called old world There's a complete break in reality. It also does a lot for Loki's character in particular. He's become so associated with the Tesseract, and through seeing the stones depowered, we learn that the Tesseract is no longer going to do him any good, and so he's going to have to find a new way to make his way. So essentially, I'm a big fan of this whole idea of the Infinity Stones being used as paperweights. And I also think not everything has to link back to Infinity War and Endgame. I think Loki as a TV show 
should be allowed to tell its own story on its own terms and shouldn't be judged by how well it references other things. I'm not 100% sure that makes sense as an answer, but I hope you get what I'm getting at here. Thank you so much for the question, Lottie. And if anyone out there has any low-key questions or opinions that you would like to address to me, you can always contact me at Loki Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram, and also email me at thelokipodcast at gmail.com. And finally, news. Now, there's only really one thing that I'm sure you're all expecting me to talk about, which is the Loki TV show. Honestly, I still haven't quite got my head around the fact that that's something that exists, and I've now seen two episodes of it. And I've been sitting in hell with MCU Loki since 2011. And now we get almost six whole hours of Loki-centric content? You know, I hate to be genuinely excited about things, but oh my god. Uh, But look, I'm not going to take it back to 2014 Tumblr and start in with the whole oh my god, I can't even thing. So I'm just going to talk about comics. We still have one more issue of Thor and Loki Double Trouble coming out in a couple of weeks on the 7th of July, and so far that's been a lot of fun, so you can give that a go if you need more Loki content in these trying times. And I would also really recommend The Mighty Valkyries. So this series stars Jane Foster as a Valkyrie, but Loki does also appear as a side character. And so far, I've really been enjoying the story but the art is just next level. I'm not going to give too much away because I think you should all go read it, and also there's only been three issues so far. But I will say that it is generally very good, and it also just has a lot going for it for fans of Loki, which is always a bonus. As a side note, if you do want to hear me talking about the Loki TV show, I have whole episodes of this podcast dedicated to each episode of the TV show. The first two episodes of that bonus series are out now, anywhere that you can normally find this podcast, and you can recognize them because they all have the word Catboy in the title. So today, I'm going back to the Norse mythic world and taking a look at Loki's numerous children. I'll be talking about who they are, what they look like, how they were created, and what all of this says about Loki's character. But before getting into all of that, I'm just going to repeat what I say in pretty much all of my mythology episodes so far, and that's that mythology is inherently variable. There is no one true canon that is the correct version, and that means that sometimes our sources are going to disagree with each other. And when that does happen, we really do need to keep an open mind about it. It's not that either version is wrong exactly, these are just two variant traditions usually. And I mention all of that here because it's a good thing to keep in mind when we're thinking about the stuff I'm discussing today. There are variant traditions, and it can get kind of confusing. In fact, we actually see variant traditions appearing within a single source on this topic. Usually, Snorri Stylison is pretty interested in telling a coherent story of Norse mythology. He kind of tries to fit his material into a narrative and into a timeline, Though there are a number of notable exceptions to that rule, and one of the places where these little differences pop up is in Snorri's account of Loki's children. So I'm going to start off talking about what sources we have, and in particular, where we find lists of Loki's offspring. 
So there are two main bits in Snorri's Edda that are particularly useful here. The first one is Snorri's first description of Loki in Gilvergenning. Here, Snorri tells us who Loki's parents are, what he's like as a person, and also who his children are and who he's having these children with. And so this offers a pretty complete picture of Loki's immediate family. But I want to bring in other sources because they introduce new details or even completely disagree. And so the second bit of Snorri's Edda that I'm going to talk about is Snorri's list of Loki kennings. So I think I've talked about kennings before. They're basically little mini metaphors that you find throughout Old Norse poetry. But the reason that this section is relevant here is because Snorri says that Loki can be referred to as Byleist's brother or Laufey's son. And so we get an idea of Loki's family connections from this. And this is particularly interesting because Snorri mentions here a number of Loki's children who do not appear in the earlier description in Gilvergenning. And then the final source that I'm going to talk about is the poem Hundla Leoth. This poem is usually considered to be part of the Poetic Edda. I know it appears in both of the major translations that I'm aware of. But it actually was found in a different manuscript than most of the other poems of the Poetic Edda. And so it's grouped in with those poems based on both form and content. It uses meter and vocabulary in a way that we can describe as Eddic. And it also talks about mythological content, which is generally the realm of this Eddic poetry. Another fun fact about Hundla Leoth is that it seems to be two poems kind of just spliced together. While the main poem is about the goddess Freya doing a major favour for a guy called Otter, in the middle someone has inserted a kind of short Veluspau. Essentially, this bit of the poem just gives a bunch of seemingly irrelevant mythological information, including a couple of stanzas discussing Loki and his offspring and his reproductive capabilities. And so this is just another source that does admittedly overlap with Snorri, but it also provides its own new information and new perspectives. So I'm going to be dipping in and out of these three sources and into other stuff where it's relevant in order to give you an idea of the various different ways people thought about Loki and his kids. And I figured that it would make sense to start with Loki's most famous children, that is, the monstrous trio. Snorri tells us in Gilvergenning that Loki conceives three children with a giantess known as Angerbotha. And these three children are called Fenrisulf, Jormungand, and Hel. Interestingly, the only other place that Angerbotha explicitly pops up is in Hundlaliod, where she's listed as the mother of Fenrisulf. Neither of the other children that Snorri assigns to Loki and Angerbotha are mentioned here, though admittedly there's only so many weird babies you can fit into four lines of highly formal poetry. In fact, definitely keep in mind that Hundlaliodh is poetry. That's definitely significant. But anyway, Snorri says that the gods have a really bad feeling about these three children. And they have a number of reasons for having their misgivings about these children. There's some prophecy stuff going on here, probably concerning the end of the world, as it usually does. Also, those are their mother's children, and that's bad. But also, those are their father's children, and that's definitely worse. And although the text doesn't say this, the Aesir probably took one look at these kids and decided that they were trouble. That's because Fenrir is a giant wolf, 
Jormungand is a giant snake, and Hel is a half-dead girl. And so for these reasons, the gods decide that they have to get rid of these kids. First, they cast Jormungand, our snake boy, into the sea, where he grows so big that he circles all the way round and starts sucking on his own tail. And we do actually encounter Jormungand a few times before the very end. Thor tries and fails to lift him during the contests at Utgarth. And again, Thor tries to fish him out of the water during a fishing trip, and fails. The fact that it is always Thor that he's tangling with is a significant bit of foreshadowing, as we'll see in just a moment. In the case of Loki's daughter Hel, she actually gets her own kingdom, though it doesn't sound like a particularly pleasant one. Snorri says that her food is hunger, her knife is famine, and her bed is sickbed. In this, Hel essentially becomes a kind of deity of death. And so it's almost strange that she doesn't have a bigger role in Norse mythology, until you remember the fact that she does not have sole domain over death. In fact, there's a lot of people in the Norse mythic world who are associated with death, notably the Valkyries, Freya, and even Odin himself. And in fact, Hel's own Kingdom of the Dead seems even worse in comparison to Odin's own idyllic vision of the afterlife, that is, Valhut. So Hel remains pretty much on the sidelines of the Norse mythic world, banished essentially to the bad associations with death and dying. The only narrative she really appears in, aside from this one, is when Balder finds himself in Hel and she sets the condition that every single living thing must cry for him if he's to be released. And of course this doesn't happen because Loki's an ass and essentially refuses. And so Hel is associated with this vision of death in which everyone wants to escape, but no one ever really does. And so now let's talk about Fenrir. Fenrir is a particularly interesting example because Snorri gives us a full description of how Odin managed to dispose of him. While the first two children are simply cast into their respective locations of exile, Fenrir is actually brought to Asgard and brought up there. We're told that the god Tyr is the only one brave enough to feed him, which would be kind of cute if it wasn't also horrific knowing what comes next. Also, despite being a giant wolf, Fenrir is strangely human, heroic even. And here I just want to make a quick note of a boring grammar thing that I find very interesting. So in the Falks translation, which is the one I use, it's kind of the standard one, and it's the one most freely available online. Both Jormungand and Fenrir are referred to as it. But if you look at the actual Old Norse, Snorri actually uses masculine pronouns. Now, because of the way Old Norse works as a language, that definitely can mean it, but it is ambiguous within the text whether Fenrir and Jormungand are being referred to as animals or people. And as I just mentioned, Fenrir shows a proper heroic interest in fame. In fact, one of his other names is Hrothvitnir, which means fame wolf. The way that the gods go about binding Fenrir also plays with that desire for fame. They set him a series of challenges in which he can demonstrate his strength and thus become famous for it. They first challenge him to break out of the fetters lathing, which he does with ease. And then they present him with another set of fetters, Dromi, and he almost hesitates. Dromi is twice as strong as lathing, 
But Fenrir essentially rationalizes the situation and says that you've got to take some risks on the road to fame. Naturally, Fenrir tears right through the second fetter, but it's the third that catches him out. The gods have a brand new fetter forged, made out of a whole bunch of impossible things, like the roots of a mountain or the sinews of a bear. I'm not 100% sure where Snorri got his ideas from, but the point here is that all of these things come together to create an unbreakable chain that looks like a silken ribbon. And as you can imagine, our giant wolf Fenrir is not happy with this situation. Clearly he thinks that something is up. He says that he doesn't think he'll gain much fame from snapping through something so tiny and dainty. But it's actually his concern for his reputation that leads him to give it a try in the end. Surely only a coward would fear to be bound by a tiny little ribbon. Still sensing that something is up, Fenrir demands surety. He says that one of the gods has to put their hand in his mouth so that he knows that they'll release him. Naturally, none of the gods want to do that, given that they all know they're 100% gonna screw this guy over. In the end, it's Tyr who's been bravely feeding Fenrir this whole time, who agrees to put his hand into the wolf's mouth. And in a horrible twist of fate, Tyr ends up feeding the wolf this one last time, because the gods never intended to let him go free again. Fenrir ends up bound, with a giant sword propping open his jaws, while Tyr walks away with one less hand. And so the children of Loki remain until Ragnarok. But before we get to the end of times, I just want to comment on the fact that none of these children seem to get any parental supervision. Loki, it would seem, is a very disinterested father. Though that isn't exactly uncommon in the Norse mythic world, no one seems to care that much about their children, apart from potentially Frigg when it comes to Balder. In fact, children are often conceived for a specific purpose. Odin specifically has sex with two different giantesses in order to create Vidar and Vali, both of whom are designed specifically for vengeance. Then again, Balder's death is a very unusual one in the mythic world, and so it follows that people would behave strangely around it, if that makes sense. The point here is that the only time Loki ever really spends time with his children is when they're working together to bring about the end of the world. So as a quick rundown of what Ragnarok is, basically everyone dies. I mean, not literally everyone, at least in some versions of the myths, some people survive. But for our purposes, all of our main characters die. So that includes Loki, Fenrir, Jormungand, and presumably all of Loki's children. Fenrir actually kills Odin before Odin's son Vithar jumps in and avenges him. And this is a particularly gruesome death. Vithar literally rips Fenrir in two, starting from his jaws right down to his tail. Meanwhile, Jormungand meets his end at the hands of Thor, who then takes nine steps and falls dead. Even if not everyone dies at Ragnarok, a lot of people still die. As for Loki's daughter Hel, she doesn't actually appear personally at Ragnarok, though Loki is described as leading her troops into battle. And so what we get from all of this is that Loki's monstrous children by the giantess Angerboda generally do mean trouble. I do also think there's a good amount of ambiguity here, especially in the case of Fenrir. Even though he is a giant wolf, we see him living among and cooperating with the gods. 
and he subscribes to this whole heroic ethos of fame and renown, in a similar way that we see expressed in, for example, the wisdom poem Halvamal, or the Icelandic sagas. All in all, Fenrir is a very human monster, and I also think it's very touching that it's Tyr that ends up getting maimed by him. This man who ostensibly helped raise this wolf is the only one who's really willing to deal with him fairly and honestly. And in general, the gods just don't come off well in this scene. After Fenrir has been bound, Snorri tells us that everyone laughed except from Tyr. He lost his hand. This kind of darkly humorous understatement is very typical of Old Norse literature, but here in particular, I think it makes the gods look kind of stupid. They just don't see the price paid for their supposed safety. And also, Fenrir absolutely will escape at some point, killing Odin in the process. Snorri really can make his monsters sympathetic, all while making the gods look like fools. So then, what about Loki's children who aren't what we might call monsters? Well, he would seem to have at least one of them. In the description in Gilverginning, Snorri says that Loki has one child by the goddess Sigyn, named Navi or Nari. And that's all fine, you know, except Snorri contradicts himself in Skaldskapamal, in his list of kennings, where he lists another son of Loki, who he calls Ali. And in terms of the narrative of Gilverginning, it would make more sense if Loki had two sons. Towards the end of Snorri's mythic timeline, Loki is, in fact, bound. And specifically, he is bound with his son's guts. This is a detail that we also see in the poem Lokasenna. Skadi basically threatens him with this very punishment. But more importantly, we're told that one of Loki's sons, here called Vali, is transformed into a wolf so that he can murder the other one and then his guts can be harvested for that said binding. And this story would seemingly require two sons, unless it's some kind of bizarre lycanthropic fight club type situation. Now I don't know exactly what any of these inconsistencies mean, if they mean anything at all. It could just be that Snorri was working with various different traditions, and for whatever reason just didn't integrate them here. However, it does seem reasonable to assume that when Snorri refers to either Vali or Ali as one of Loki's sons, he's talking about the same person. We can make that assumption because there's actually another person in the Edda who is referred to as either Vali or Ali. At the beginning of Gilverginning, when Snorri is cataloguing all of the gods, he mentions a certain Vali or Ali, who is fairly generically associated with war and combat, but also happens to be the son of Odin and Vrind, not Loki. So if at this point you're feeling a little bit confused, that's completely understandable, it is quite confusing. What we're dealing with here is a very fluid tradition that at one point in time, in a specific place, has been solidified into a written text. And so while someone like Snorri could turn all of this mythological information into a relatively coherent chronological narrative, there are going to be inconsistencies as a natural part of that process. But aside from the difficulties with identifying Loki's sons, I just want to have a quick look at this one narrative that they actually really appear in. Because it must be significant that it's a wolf that Vali is transformed into. Now there generally is an association between wolves and brother slaying. 
We see this in Verlustbau when Ragnarok is described as a wolf age, but also an age where brothers will be killing brothers. But when we're talking about Loki and his family, wolves are particularly meaningful. We know that Loki already has one wolf-shaped son. But Vali wasn't born into that side of the family tree, so to speak. Fenrir was born to the giantess Angerboda, not the goddess Sigyn. Personally, my interpretation of this moment is that Loki's binding constitutes a kind of banishment. It's the point at which he's cut off from the other gods. And so by having one of the sons killed, and the other one transformed into a wolf, it's not just Loki that is banished. His sons that could have been full members among the gods are now either killed off or assimilated into the monstrous brood. That's just my very tentative opinion on the matter though, so don't take it too seriously. So far I've only discussed those children who Loki is a father to, or at least we assume he's the father. However, with Loki, that's not always the case. He can equally be a mother. The most obvious example of this is, of course, Sleipnir, Odin's famous eight-legged horse. And I'm not going to get too far into the whole Sleipnir thing today, mainly because I have a whole nother episode written out on the subject. So here, I'm just going to say that Sleipnir is conceived when Loki shapeshifts into a horse, seduces a stallion, and becomes pregnant in the process. Which, you know, there's a lot to unpack there, but we're just gonna tuck away that suitcase for a rainy day for now. Other sources also mention Loki's ability to get pregnant. If we look at the poem Lokasena, both Odin and Njord insult Loki on the basis that he can do so. And I'm just going to quote some of my own translations of the relevant stanzas here, just because I think they're fun and interesting. Odin says to Loki, Eight winters you were a woman milking cows down beneath the earth, and there you have given birth to children. And I thought that that was the essence of effeminacy. So again, there's a lot to unpack here. Odin clearly is not impressed with Loki's childbearing abilities. He sees it almost as a kind of stain that Loki is marked out by his own effeminacy. And when I say effeminate, the word in Old Norse is Arga, which is actually very complicated to translate, but it's associated with things like effeminacy and cowardice and also passive homosexuality. So, you know, it's really just a grab bag of all of that fun stuff. But it does give you a good idea of how Loki's ability to have children is framed. Essentially, he's seen as a man who is just kind of doing gender wrong. Similarly, Njorda comments that it is unbelievable that an effeminate god has come in here and he has given birth to children. Clearly, Njorda is also pretty outraged at the things that Loki can do with his body. And on that note, I want to return quickly to Hundlerlioth, which contains the wonderful story of Loki consuming the heart of some evil woman and actually getting pregnant as a result and then giving birth to apparently all the monstrous women in the world. And there's been a considerable amount of discussion on who this evil woman might be or what it might mean for Loki to give birth to every monstrous woman in the world. But I'm not particularly interested in that aspect of the debate. What's more interesting to me is, first of all, the gender stuff going on here. This is a complete role reversal from what we'd normally see, in that it's Loki, who is ostensibly male, being impregnated by a woman. And I'm also very interested in this idea that 
Loki breeding is a bad and dangerous thing, and so it's kind of stigmatized. Loki really does produce more offspring than any of the other gods. Odin is the only one that comes anywhere close, and even then, it's not a close second, and he lacks the range of Loki's reproductive capabilities. But I'm actually just going to leave you with that image of a fertile and breedable Loki, and come back to it another time. For now, I just want to point out that Loki's reproductive capabilities are supernatural, beyond that of what the other gods have. And also, his ability to reproduce is often dangerous and threatening. Whether he's fathering wolves, or giving birth to an entire race of witches and troll wives. As always, thank you so much for listening. I really hope that episode didn't get too weird towards the end there. I don't know, there's just something really funky going on with the breeding patterns of the gods. But anyway, if any of that got you thinking or feeling anything, or you just have something Loki related that you would like to say to me, you can always get in contact with me at Loki Podcast on Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram, or you can email me at thelokipodcast at gmail.com. And hey, you guys, I'm about to be a graduate, so if anyone's hiring in the fields of communicating badly with dead people or divine captive conservation, hit me up. I'm a real catch. Bye.